0: going through a massive transition in the economy right now, right? where you can make millions of dollars in very ways that the older generations, even me and you, would right. look at and say, that's, a, that's a, not a legitimate way to make yep. money, but yet it's dollars or dollars.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Founder Podcast. Today, I am joined by Mr. Bridger Pennington right? I'm pronouncing it right. Oh (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But uh, Bridger is an absolute stud. He has been running his business fund launch in which they teach entrepreneurs how to launch funds, which is super exciting. It's actually something that I'm actually really excited to learn more about. Uh, He sold an additional business, uh, got his start in the business uh, years ago when he, he found out that his dad was actually wealthy grew up in a way that uh, didn't uh, didn't realize that his dad uh, runs a real estate fund um, number five in the world 48 billion and uh, your dad never gave you any money never gave you anything but he gave you the knowledge in order to do so which I think is the best thing that you can uh, pass on to future generations Uh, Bridger's a family man uh, a a believer in Christ and uh, just an awesome dude welcome to the show
0: Chris, good to be on. What a pleasure! It's yeah, awesome dude. To be on, dude.
1: Excited. You know, it's interesting, Bridger. I, uh, so I'm always looking for awesome guests for for my podcast, and I got the recommendation to interview you by like three or four different people. Mm-hmm. They're like, you got to interview Bridger. You got to interview Bridger. And so, like after the third, or fourth, I'm like, all right, this guy must be legit. Let's reach out, figure it out. So, yeah. um, excited to have you on, man. So, give us more depth in that story. So, first of all, how old are you? You're you're a young man. Yeah. So 28
0: years old right now. So awesome. Yeah, we're running that hedge fund and we got fund launch, which is cool, and we're just growing. So we've helped, I think, uh, we've about 60,000 students around the world that do funds. So and we wild. Can, we can dive into funds. We've got 12 funds over 100 million dollars. One fund over a billion. We're partners now on eight minority funds as well. So these, I mean, these funds, we can go dive into it. Craziest funds you've ever seen. I mean, yeah, basic hedge funds, real estate funds, private equity, but also we have guys doing almond farm funds. We have guys doing cow manure funds. We have, we have so a, dope. One group they they buy they find uh, broke writers on Hollywood. They yes. buy scripts from them. They turn around and sell them to HBO, Netflix, for no. like 200, 300 grand. So they make oh a spread. That's, gosh, that's I need to do fund. that. Anyways, we, we help a lot of people launch funds, which is pretty cool.
1: I love the, I love the hustle. Sorry if I didn't, uh, if I, if I downplayed your, uh, your profile, cause you're freaking awesome. Well, right? no, it's fun. And I like to just,
0: <laughs> I like to just seed kind of this stuff. Cause it's such an interesting space that not a lot of people talk about. Yeah, Yeah. Like the reason we actually started making content online was because no one teaches this. Yes. And I was thankful enough to learn from a dad right. who taught me this. But like literally if you go on Google or YouTube, no this is like locked up on Wall Street or on Ivy League Tower or whatever somewhere. Regular people like me and you don't hear about this right. every single day. And so we're like, we need to like D de- we call it democratize wall street. So cool. bring this to the general
1: public and people. Yeah, and it's, yeah, yeah. it's a pretty cool space. Yeah. I love your hashtag. It's like uh, wall street rebels or something. What uh-huh. is it? Yeah. 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 That's so cool. Um, man. So tell us the story, like how you got involved, like growing up, your dad was, was running these funds. You really didn't know, like, give me that, that whole background.
0: Yeah. So, and cut me off whenever you want. Yeah. I, I grew up in a pretty normal house. My dad drove a car with a dent in the door. I mean, we'll
1: be talking normal house.
0: Like nothing. It wasn't. I wasn't poor by any means. How many I'm square middle, feet? Probably three thousand square feet. Okay. Square yeah. feet. Normal my dad, house. My dad drove a nineteen ninety nine Ford Expedition with yeah. literally a dent in the door. Yes. And just an entrepreneur. He yeah. was up and down. He started a bunch of different companies. Cool. Really awesome dude. But he learned. He grew up in ghetto North Las Vegas, very poor. So he had risen in, from his income to uh, to where he was at the time. But nothing, you know, fancy. We didn't right. go on trips. We didn't do. I mean, we were just we're there and it was fun. I had a no great time No Ferraris,
1: no Lambos.
0: <laughs> so I, and I had, a, he really baked into us kids though, this entrepreneur spirit. Like yeah. if you want to do well and we, it was interesting. My dad made sure, one of his stories is like, I made sure my kids lived nearby rich kids. Uh, so he bought the cheapest house that went to the same schools as all the rich kids. So cool. Cause he goes, I think most kids believe they can do what their dad does. Really? He goes, I grew up in a high school in North Las Vegas where the kids' parents were just blue collar workers. And they, you'd ask the kid, I'm not going to college. I'm going to go work at the tire store. Right. I'm going to go work at the fire department, which, which is nothing wrong with that because I want my kids to hang out with kids whose parents are anesthesiologists or run, which my friends, all my friends, you know, ears, nose, and throat went to school for 15 years, doctor, right? They live in this huge mansion. Another guy was a major big time lawyer. The other guy that ran a C, uh, he's the CEO of a fortune 500 company. Wow. I was friends with these guys. Stupid and so as their dope. kids, you'd ask them, what are you guys going to do? Well, I'm going to do what my dad did. I'm going to go to college, go to Wharton, go to Harvard, and what it does is, you, everyone believes that they can do what their dad does typically. Right. And so he did that on purpose, actually, to make sure I grew up with those kids. So I had, a, anyways, a very strong entrepreneur spirit. Very cool. Went on a two year LDS mission, went to Taiwan, spoke Mandarin Chinese. Wow. Loved it. We can talk about that more if you want, but it was an amazing mission. Came home and I was like, came home on fire. Yes. Like, I am here, I'm ready to work. So the first week I got home, I started a business. I started a Chinese tutoring business. Yes. I started tutoring kids in my neighborhood and stuff. I was making 30 to $40 an hour tutoring. I then hired seven or eight tutors. We started to build this little group. And I realized the thing though, when I was doing this business, that the margins are terrible on <laughs> tutoring. Because <laughs> yes. I had to pay my, if like I hired a kid to help me tutor, right. if we've made 30 bucks, I'd pay him 25. I was making a $5 <laughs> margin, which just isn't much, right? No. So anyways, a long story, but I, my first two years of college, I started six businesses. Yes. And these weren't just like business ideas. Like these were actual businesses. I had, I wholesale two houses we started building websites for people. I was doing this Chinese tutoring business. I mean, I went, I did like every business on YouTube. I figured out and like did. Yes. And finally my dad grabs me and he's like, Bridger. just the hustle
1: is what you it were was after. just the hustle. And I was like, yeah. I'm going
0: to figure it out. And yep. I'm going to, and actually that taught me a ton. We can talk about it in a minute, but just yeah. the process of doing that teaches you a ton. My dad finally grabs me though. And he goes, Bridget, you're kind of like a chicken with your head cut off. I want you to go meet with my business partner. This guy can really help you out. So I said, okay, dad, I'll do whatever. So I go meet, the, meet with this guy. I pull up to his house, beautiful house, gated community, beautiful, gorgeous home. I park my car and I'm like, who's my dad's business partner? Jeez, this guy's legit. So I, I walk to the door, I knock on the door. I'm a little nervous, like a butler's gonna come and like, be gone, peasant, get out of here, right. you know? But anyways, my dad's business partner asks the door, goes, Bridger, come on. And I walk in this guy's house, it's gorgeous. He's got the cars, the pool, everything. just everything, right? right. I'm, I'm totally impressed. I sit down. We have this long conversation. I finally ask him, though. I go, how did you get all of this? How did you do this? And he goes, Bridger, it's a funny question. Not a lot of people ask me this. And he goes, in my 20s, I was a lot like you. He goes, I was a hustler. I just did every business. And actually, I made good money in my 20s. But then he goes, then I figured out the secrets of the ultra wealthy. He goes, the ultra wealthy families of the world, they send their children to the best universities possible. And they sometimes cheat to get them in or pay to get them. We've seen that in the news, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they go and they want their kids to work in the fund space, private equity, hedge funds, venture capital, or come back home and run the family office. Yeah. And he goes, I've met a guy that ran a private equity fund that was one of the most wealthy people I'd ever met, a young dude. And he said, I, don't, I met that guy and I, met, I made a goal. He says, I don't care how long it takes me, one year, five years, or 20 years. He goes, I was going to figure out what a fund was. He said, I don't even know what a fund was, how to build one, how to scale one. And he goes, that's what we did. And he goes, and at the time he goes, we're, we're managing about $8 billion of real estate multifamily, which to put that into perspective, I know, you know, Grant Cardone, people will follow him. Cardone capital is about 4 billion.
1: Right. This is double. So that's two times. This is years And this ago. was, wow. Yeah. This is
0: twice. And they're buying multifamily apartments, pretty similar assets. Right. Twice as big as Cardone capital today. They're over 10 times bigger than Cardone capital. Wow. So 10 X uncle G, nothing wrong with uncle G. I love, yeah. I love <laughs> his content, but it, just to give you a magnitude of
1: scale. Yeah. yeah. That's
0: a lot that's of big growth. perspective. Yeah. And I was totally impressed and I saw, and I, I was just a young kid. I'm 21 at the time. And I was like, can, can you be my mentor? You know, I'll come, I'll get you coffee, whatever. He goes, Bridger, go talk to your dad. Your dad knows way more abouts than I do. And I said, no, my dad's kind of broke. We live in a normal house. Dude, I want to learn from you. Like you're rich. You're all this stuff. And he goes, Bridger, sorry to break it to you, but your dad's me, rich. Yeah. Me and your dad make about the same amount of money. We're
1: fitty fitty on this.
0: <laughs> and my chin drops the floor. I was like, huh? Like come again? He's like, yeah, we're pretty much equal business partners. And I left the dude's house. I drove straight to my dad's house. You're
1: like, what on (laughs) earth? (laughs) What's going on, Dad? This is after you came home off your mission. Yes, this is after. Oh my goodness! Like, Dad,
0: what's going on? Like, what? Like, why haven't I been able to order like dessert at the restaurant for the past twenty years because it's too expensive? We got to save money on drinks, you know. And yet you're managing billions of dollars. So long story. Sure. I'll, uh, my dad started to teach me about funds. So yeah. every Sunday night I would go to his house, he pulled the whiteboard and we would, he would map out what funds were, how waterfall structures work, how international feeder strungs w- work, how the sec compliance works, how to find capital partners, all this stuff. And it was phenomenal. And I had this just masterclass from a, this, my, my dad, a mentor on funds. And it's a funny thing about life. Uh, when you start to learn something, you start to recognize that thing in your life. Tony principal from Tony Robbins, all other teachers: like if you buy a car, you start to see that car everywhere, right? Yeah, right, right? Same thing was true with me about funds. I started to learn about funds and I thought, huh, I started to see opportunities for funds. So I was, as now I turned 22 years old. I was in college working. So I was in co- school full-time working a job and an internship. Again, yeah. my dad was, I was working too. I was working college and doing my thing. At the internship, I saw an opportunity where we could start a fund for this company. They right. needed financing for these clients. So I said, I'm going to do this fund. I put it all together. I, me and my dad helped put this kind of map out what the fund would look like. And I finally hit this wall. So I built this whole thing, I was super excited, then I hit this wall, like crap, how am I gonna raise money? Like who's gonna the first thing you need for a fund is investors? Right. Like that's the basis of a fund. Like I don't I haven't graduated college, I have no tracker, no Ivy League degree. Like who's gonna invest in me? And then I had a great idea. I was like, huh, my dad. He's got money. Like, he doesn't spend it on Ferraris or stuff. Like my dad will invest and he's loved, he's already helped me build this little thing. So I remember it was a late Sunday night, I went and I went in my dad's little home office and I walked you in your room. pitch ready. Oh yeah, ready to oh, go. Oh baby. And I, <laughs> I sit across my dad just like this. and I said, dad, how would you like to be our first investor into our fund? And he smiled and he said, Bridger, I have the money to invest, but if I invest in your fund, it would ruin the experience of you raising money on your own. This will be a crutch that you'll never be able to recover from and your first investor is your hardest investor to find, so no. And he kicked me out. I said, wah, wah. Yeah, <laughs> tough love moment between me and my dad. But then he, uh, but it was, it was probably the greatest blessing my dad ever gave me. Absolutely. And I went out and I raised a whopping $49,500 from six investors, which is people listening. That might sound cool. That's teeny. That's like nothing in the fund space.
1: So were you doing it all legal? Were these all accredited investors? So we did it through
0: a syndication okay. structure. Um, and I, I believe some were credit somewhere, but we were all partners on a syndication.
1: Essentially. Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: And so we had all the lawyers check it off and it looked good. And so we launched this little micro syndication, and it was a teeny amount of money, but we did really well. We got a 64% return on their money back to those first group of awesome. partners and investors, which is phenomenal.
1: On 50 grand. Yeah, let's we, go. Yeah, I know.
0: We then dovetailed that into our second fund. Our second fund, we raised and employed millions of dollars out of that fund. I ran that fund for about three and a half years, did incredible. We had, a I think, 62, 49, and 36% cash on cash return. So,
1: real quick, you go and you return 64%. Your next guys you're going to raise money from, are yeah. you telling them, hey, our previous fund was only 50 grand or you're saying our previous fund returned 64%.
0: 64% sounds a <laughs> lot <even> better, yeah.
1: <laughs> and we just said, hey, we're doing the same strategy. We're just gonna yeah, do it yeah, at yeah. scale. And yeah, we were doing yeah. micro
0: loans. They were 2,000, 8,000 dollars a loan. They turned very fast. Yeah. We just got this great return and that fund did phenomenal. It was, it was great. I actually so finally cool. had a competitor come and buy us out on that fund. So cool. they, uh, they gave us an offer. We sold that fund um, and exited that. And then during that process, my dad and myself, my brother is also an investment funds attorney works in the largest law firm in the world for funds. And so between the three of us, we had a pretty good fund knowledge. So we started to make content online and then we made a kind of a
1: course and a you group. You said your dad was involved with the, the content.
0: Well, I would just interview him. Right, right, right. I was Got pretty it. much me, but I'd yeah, interview yeah, yeah. him and bring Got him as it. a guest sometimes. My brother, I'd bring him as a yep. guest, yep. And, but it was pretty much me.
1: Yeah. And
0: right. uh, all of a we just, we just blew up online as far as the space. And so, and it's pretty niche space for funds, but we now, you know, have grown and we throw big events and we do all this cool stuff and we have students all over the world and people launching crazy funds. And so amazing. And then, then since then I've launched now a, a different hedge fund. We raised eight figures on our first launch and, and we're running that now it's a crypto hedge fund that we currently run and then now we're we partner with some of our students we partner with eight of them on uh of so awesome. their funds so yeah it's
1: kind of that's the quick and dirty story yeah, yeah you said so like kind of your your portfolio of students you said how many have done 100 million and have and you have one that's done a billion right yep. raised a fund so 12
0: funds over 100 million rep- at least reported this is just reported right, right, right one fund over a billion we have 54 funds over 10 million dollars in our group
1: dude that's so exciting and so i mean here you are 28 years old seven years since you've come home from your mission, yeah. is that right yeah,' just about yeah. okay married mm-hmm. uh have a kid yeah. right living life, man, you know, you know where I was when I was twenty eight years old I think I was just meddling through bankruptcy i can't remember oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. but it was it was about the same so that's uh that's pretty awesome that you you've you've been able to take this. I love your dad's perspective on like not Giving your kids a crutch. Yeah, I, I have the same. And still to
0: this day, my dad is not invested in any fund or deal I've pitched him. That's so awesome. I pitch him all the time too. I love I'm like, that. I'm like, Dad,
1: there's this great deal. He's like, Cool, find somebody else. I need to meet your dad. Yeah, because, he's a cool dude. Because I actually try to father very similarly mm. yeah, with with my kids. So I have five kids. My oldest uh, boy is 14 my daughter's 16 Mm. and uh the thing i let them know i'm like look you don't get a dime Mm -hmm. right like uh, when you're underneath my under my home yeah i'm going to provide some basic essentials and everything for you but i'm not investing in your business you're not when i die you're not inheriting anything but the best thing i can do is give you my knowledge so it sounds like me and your dad that's a great
0: no and my dad has done that for me and it's been phenomenal yeah essentially i interview a lot of people that run funds big funds that are wealthy and it's funny to interview them and see the difference between, and I, it's, I, I, in my opinion, about 50-50 of yeah. the kids that can the second generation, of these really high-powered fund managers or people that have tons of wealth, about 50-50, half of them, the kids totally go astray yeah. and are on drugs and just suck money right. out of it. The, and then the other half, these parents do a really good job, and most parents that I've seen do that exact thing.
1: Oh, so they make their kids. Th- those are the ones that are successful. Yes. Let's and go. And I just,
0: I'll echo what you're saying. I think it's. I, I want to parent my kids that way. Kind of like Shaq said. Right? Yeah, I'm, yeah I'm rich. We're man. not rich. Get out of love here. That yeah. one. I
1: love it. it. I love it. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I'm part of a, a Harvard group, uh, so I, I attend this program called OPM. Mm-hmm. And uh, have you heard of it? No. Yeah. So essentially, what it is is it's every uh, every year we go out to Harvard three weeks a year, mm. stay on campus. It's for owners, presidents of of different businesses. Yep. And they have certain qualifications. There's 168 of us, yep. and it's got a diverse people. I mean, we've got the the second richest guy in the world, his oldest son is part of our group. We got Will am. We got like like there's there's all kinds of like super successful this that and the other. Mm. And, but it, but it's interesting. You, you take that sample size of 168 people and you got about half of them that are living on daddy's money. Mm, right. And, and you just see what they're doing with their lives mm. and some of them are just like not, not that impressive. And then there's these other people that have like bootstrapped it up mm. or their parents taught them the right way or whatnot. And so, yeah, it's not, ne- it's never even a distinguish of whether or not your parent was rich. It was, it was how they, how
0: they parented, how
1: they parented, how they transitioned that, that, wealth of knowledge, right? But did they transition just assets or, or wealth or knowledge, knowledge. assets, right? What's well,
0: funny. I've, we go and meet with a lot of big family offices yeah. and that exact same thing. You see a, a big level of confidence shift between those two categories as well. Yes. People that bootstrap like you or me or right, whatever, right. like they feel this big amount of pride and confidence in what they've built. Right. The other half feel this sense of, you know what, well, I was kind of gifted this stuff. And we go meet with these. And my, my business partner kept telling me, he goes, Bridger, we're going to meet with this family. You're going to notice because we're meeting with the son, there's a deep sense of sadness behind their eyes. Yes. There's a deep sense of, you know, dad did it, but I haven't quite done it
1: yet. Right. Behind they're, their eyes. And they're really, still trying to prove to their mm-hmm. dad that they're worth it, but they never can because they don't, they're not actually doing it, right? And they're
0: 40, 50 year old men. Yes, it's Still crazy. feeling like they haven't proved anything. And then all of a sudden they'll come up, well, we're going to do this charity thing and do $12 million to this random thing. And it just doesn't quite fill that void right. because they were given it. And it's funny, if you think about, you know, if you were God or the creator of the universe and you were trying to build a amazing human. Right. You wouldn't give them everything up front. If you wanted to build patience, you wouldn't give them everything day one. If you wanted to build perseverance or diligence, you would give them the opposite of what you think to build that trait. Yeah. And it's one of the most beautiful gifts parents can give to children, I think, is not giving them money. Yeah. Not giving them a, a hand up, but giving them maybe knowledge maybe delaying, whatever the the thing is for your child, but it's a very interesting way to think about life.
1: Yeah. And it's interesting. So my business partner, uh, Daryl, he's got four daughters and, and we, we kind of have this debate back and forth because, you know, daughters and sons are even a little different, right? Mm. Because the expectation for a man, like at least where my, my expectation is a man needs to go and provide, right. A Mm. woman needs to support. Yeah. She may be a part of the providing, right. But it, but it's a different, different level. And so like, how do you, how do you, uh, allocate that? Right. Like, Mm. do I, do I take care of my daughters, but not my sons or, you know, it's, it's, it's it's a, interesting healthy debate to like figure out how that that, what have you done with your daughters then you know um right now i try to parent them the same but it doesn't work very good Mm -hmm. (laughs) i'm not to to be to be frank i'm not a great dad of girls Mm -hmm. right like i'm i am very like rigid like rub some rub some dirt in it you Mm -hmm. know stand up you got this type deal doesn't work with women mm, you know yeah. and so so i've tried to try to morph my parenting style or whatnot but uh but yeah it, it'll it'll be interesting i think i think i'll probably have a different take on on a financial aspect with the way that i take care of my daughters but uh, mm, it'll it'll be it'll be interesting but at the same time i don't want to debilitate my future son-in-laws mm, right like yeah. and so that's such an interesting category too. The son-in-laws coming in and oh that's man, very interesting. Yeah. Good night. Yeah, I'm gonna <laughs> good night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh man, I'm gonna be approaching that here oh. in a few years. My daughter's um, she's 16 and a half You know, she's yeah. gonna be gone in two years. Yep. I mean, she could be married in three or four. I'm like, oh, yeah. how, wow. do you,
0: how do you approach that? Wow. It's funny too. I love the quote: "Everyone's a perfect parent until they have kids."
1: Right. 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 And so
0: it's just interesting as you go. Th- I'm just yeah, it's cute. a couple years I have to follow up and see how you navigate all yeah.
1: that. Yeah. 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 I have some really cool Cool uh, things that I like to do with my kids that have seemed to work thus far, but we'll we'll see. So, man, I I love I love what your story like like that is fascinating to me. Like the way that your your dad is passing on his knowledge and just your hustle, your grit, all these different businesses that you've started. I, I think that's so key to being successful is like just finding the different ins and outs of like creating value. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and even if it's only $5 an hour of value that you're creating mm-hmm. versus like flipping a big business or what, whatever it is like, um, I, I think that's so much of the younger generation today is just trying to get the quick and easy buck. Mm-hmm. Right. They're, they're thinking like, uh, I think the, the statistic, right. They, they interviewed a bunch of teenagers and like all of them expect to be a millionaire by the age of 25. Hmm, right yeah. and but they want it quick and easy they're not willing to go and do those things building build a language building you know business where you're only making five bucks an hour or, or you know figure out how the economy works or what whatever it is right like it's just like i want it now start a youtube channel get a following shake my butt you know we do something <laughs> i don't yeah. know and, and so I, I it's interesting to just see like like that you're doing it the right way you know? well it's
0: interesting too i i actually love that goal though i love that that's built in if a lot of kids want to be, I think this, I love the Jim Rohn quote: "Set a goal to be a millionaire right. because of who you have to become to get there." Right. And we're we're going through a massive transition in the economy right now. Right. Where you can make millions of dollars in very ways that the older generations, even me and you, would right. look at and say that's a that's a not a legitimate way to make yep. money, but yet it's dollars are dollars. Right. And so whether it's a YouTube channel or being a content creator or I don't know building an AI just leveraging AI to build websites or whatever you're going to use. Um, at least the journey I think is massive. Now I have friends that are, you know, giving everything up to be a gaming streamer. Right. And they're not putting correct business principles into what they're going to do, especially for online creation. This is something right. actually we did. a I did a terrible job at the beginning. I, I had a, a while we started to, we actually built a course to flip houses. Okay. This is like way back when one of those six businesses was yeah. a course called live flip.
1: Yeah. And so I was like,
0: yo, I love the concept of courses. They have great margins. Great. You can do a lot with a course. Let's yep. build a house flipping course. So I found these two mentors. I brought them in. We filmed for like eight months, them flipping a house. And it was actually very high quality shot it in 4k Edited it. We made this big thing. I was decent at marketing, we built the funnels. We did the webinars. We did the whole model. We copied the whole thing. We launched it and it totally flopped. Mm. And I looked back and I was like, why? We have a great product and online and why don't people just sign up? And then I realized a certain thing of, that we don't think about when we go to online, when we're starting a podcast or starting a YouTube channel. If you were gonna open up a coffee shop, right? In your local area, you probably wouldn't put it next to the five. There's, there's five other coffee shops on one corner. You probably wouldn't put a six there. Right. It's just a very competitive market. Right. Maybe you put it in an area where there's not a lot of coffee shops or whatever. You'd be strategic about your location right. of a business. Yet online, I realized with a house flipping course, there's about a thousand house flipping courses. <laughs> yeah. There's Dean mean, oh, yeah. You can name, you can right, name right, them off. Right. Why would they choose us over there? I was like, huh, this is a red ocean. Right. I have, I have a friend right now. He's like, Bridger, I'm gonna be a fitness influencer. And I was like, okay like what niche or whatever <laughs> no i'm just going to post videos of doing fitness just crush it you and 20,000 other people are doing the exact same content online it's just funny we don't think about this red ocean blue ocean concept right and it was funny enough when we started fun launch we take a totally different approach i went i used a tool called tube buddy fantastic tool everyone should use it it's a chrome extension it goes on youtube tube buddy how do like, you spell that like youtube buddy okay. tube t u b e buddy yep you go on there and you can actually type in keywords and phrases and it'll say how much search volume versus how much competition is for that key Mm. phrase. So we went on there and I said like how to flip a house. A lot of people search that, but very competitive. Yes. We went and searched like how to start a private equity fund, very high search volume, low competition. Wow. We're like, huh, that's interesting. How to start a real estate fund or how to start a private equity or how does, how do I like raise capital for a fund? We started getting these incredible ton of people searching for it. Very low competition. We thought, huh, this might be a blue ocean online. And so we actually, my first episodes, I started a podcast and show the first episodes, all 10 of them were pretty much targeted directly for those keywords. Mm. And all of a sudden we did a, I think we did a million dollars in our first six months. We did 2.5 million in our first 12 months. Wow. Because we picked a niche and found a blue ocean that was already there online. But a lot of people when they're looking online, don't realize these red oceans. I have friends that want to be a gaming streamer. Okay, cool. That's great. You and 10,000 other people. So maybe you should be a streamer that wears a certain outfit or does something funny or cracks jokes or maybe a comedian and a streamer at the same time. Yes. Finding your niche on the online scape is a very different thing than just starting.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. A lot of people think if if I just take action, if I just create a product or whatnot, it's going to automatically sell. Right. And so it's it's understanding the total addressable market. It's understanding the competition. Mm -hmm. It's understanding. Can I sell it Right before you ever even get into the it, right? Mm -hmm. Like what creating all the content? Because otherwise, yeah, I mean, there's so many
0: market positioning. Yes, like massive. Yes, for uh, I have a friend that does online fitness, but he's online fitness for successful CEOs, ages 45 to 55. Money. All of a sudden, he's the category king of that space. Yes. And everyone comes to him for that thing. Right. It's really cool. I have another friend that does online fitness for brides. She calls it bride fit. It's actually I a family know. member of ours.
1: Get and your naked body on. Let's you know, go. Well, it's like,
0: yeah, you've got <laughs> six months till you're getting married. Yes. Let's do a six-month program to get you bride fit for your to w- fit in that wedding dress. And women, especially when they're oh, getting yeah. married, they're just... And I as a husband, you just spend a lot of money. It's like, yeah, flowers, whatever. Yeah, bride fits, like five, whatever, how many grand it is. Yeah, <laughs> put it, you spend put it, it in it. the budget, baby. Yeah, it's all in the budget because you're, <laughs> and, and she's, she's actually built an incredible business off of That's that. That's so little cool.
1: Niche. That's so cool. So, dude, what, uh, what drives you today? So, like, you're, you're building this, like, where do you want to take it? Like, what are your goals? What are your aspirations right now?
0: So, it's funny. On a, I'll, I'll talk through a, on a couple different senses here. Obviously, with Fun Launch and our funds, I, you know, I've got, I've, at first, I was like, I need to make money. Me, yep. Bridger. And I was all focused on money, very coin focused. Yep. And so we made money. I made sure money was we were cash flow generated, I was putting it in my pocket, which was awesome. And I did that for a while it was really great. I'm hitting a point now where I'm transitioning from that to now more impact. And it was it was really frustrating actually. I listen to podcasts like this and I listen to founders. and I'm like, yeah, dude, we're all about the mission and the impact. And I thought it was really cheesy. You're like bull well, crap. Yeah. Everyone says that once they're a billionaire, right. what were you doing when you were like making your first 10 grand, you were right. focusing on making money. And so yeah. I focused on making money for the first, I don't know, let's call it a couple of years. Yeah, I'm now hitting a point where I think I've, I feel like I've made enough money where it actually, now I understand why people talk about impact right. and what they're doing. And now I've, I've really focused on our customers and clients. Like I, I really do want to change yeah. this democratization of wall street. I want, I think there's consolidation at Vanguard, at BlackRock, these big citadel that run the world. Yeah. You, you can talk at length, but yeah. how they manage all the boards and they do ESG initiatives right, and right, all these right. initiatives to change Disney and Fox and all these companies, yeah, yeah, yeah. they pretty much have a hundred percent say on what happens. Right. They, they can do that because they run a fund. Right. And they, 150 years ago, however many years ago, they figured out this game and just took it to the nth degree. Yep. I think more people like us need to figure out this game. We need to de- Democratize yes. the game of funds. So it's not just one in seven homes in 2021 were purchased by Wall Street. wild In 2022, it was one in five. Wow. Residential homes were purchased Good by night. funds. More people need to understand this game of funds or we're gonna be slaves to people that understand the game of funds.
1: Yeah. So you talk about like finding your motivation, obviously, like initially it was it was money, and then you're kind of going more to like a cause and, mm-hmm. and taking it to like being able to push it, you know, through funds, right? Yep. Um have you ever read the book How We you Measure Your Life? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. So uh, I believe it's from, from that book where where he talks about like the hygiene factors. Have you mm-hmm. you, heard, yes. you, heard, yeah. you remember this? Yeah. So it's interesting because right, money and oxygen are both hygiene factors, mm-hmm. right? when you don't have enough of it, right? Your first 10 grand, your first hundred grand, whatever it is, right? Just paying your bills. It's the only thing that can motivate. It's the only thing Mm -hmm. you can think about. I need oxygen now. But after that, and and you don't even have to be that wealthy, right? Like you don't have to have that. Money will lose its saver. Right. Mm -hmm. Money, money will lose its drive, its power, everything like that. It is finding these bigger purpose things that actually are your true motivational factors that Mm -hmm. push you. And the the craziest thing that most people don't realize when they're poor is that if I could just focus on my motivational factors, I will be a value creator and money will Automatically just attract itself to mm-hmm. me, right? Instead of me chasing money, money starts chasing me. Yeah, and so I, I just love that that uh, just that concept of like shifting, right? Even though it sounds cheesy, like you said, mm-hmm. right? Like like oh yeah, sure, purpose driven life, whatever yep. else, like both. add value to
0: the world, like. And I was like, yeah, that's cool, but like, I need to make ten grand right now. Right. You know, like I need
1: to survive the next six right. months. Yeah, and, yeah. and
0: that was actually good for a season. I'm happy I did that. Right but yep. it's, it's transitioned a lot. And the other thing I'll say is this, I'll tell you a quick story. So we were at, um, pirates cove. Actually, I think I texted yeah, you yeah. I was there, yep. um, with my wife's family Cool. and my wife's grandparents. He's got an incredible story. He grew up, his mom was a prostitute, had all these different fathers through his life. He just, he grew up in a very interesting circumstance.
1: This is your wife's who it's my wife's grandpa. Okay.
0: He then, uh, grows up. He has, um, he beats his father up when he's 14. He got really good at boxing Beats the crap out of his father when he's drunk one night, and like leaves the house and has this crazy story. He then becomes a, a blackjack dealer. He's pretty good at football. He gets a scholarship to this go. This is to. down in
1: Vegas or where? This is
0: uh, he was in through California, kind okay. of Vegas area. He then yeah. plays for a team in Utah, college team. He then gets called to Vietnam, serves in Vietnam, finds God, finds Christ, becomes a, a member of the Church of Jesus Christ, gets baptized, changes his life, gets married. He becomes a very successful lawyer. He now he has wow. five kids. Those kids all have incredible people, and my my wife is one of his granddaughters. That's awesome. And they are I'm not even kidding when I say incredible humans. This family. I mean every not I mean pretty much everyone is like incredible in, in like either dance or sport. They're college athletes or they're ripped like or they have incredible businesses. Just, every single person you see is like wow. Yeah. these are sharp people. You you and, married up? I, I, oh, I married up big time. Yeah, yeah big that's time. good. So we're there, and it was funny. This this guy comes and he visits the the family. He walks, he's looking at it. this guy's a multimillionaire, kind of been a playboy through his life, but now he's a little bit older. He's like 50-ish. Yeah. And he's there and he's like, huh. He talks to the grandpa and we're kind of sitting there and he goes, what you have here is really special. Yeah. Money can't buy this. Yeah. You've built a family legacy. And me and my wife talk about this a lot. I, when I interview people and talk about success and family and whatever, the, I think the biggest success in life is exactly what my wife's grandpa has, where yeah. you have compounded right. Wealth or how you ever define wealth, but success through generations. Cause yeah. I think, and you can't buy that. It takes, right. and you can't even do it yourself. Right. You have to do it with another human, yep. your spouse. Yep. And it takes 35, 40 years yes. of being a really good dad right. and mother, and then a really good grandfather to have, right. he's got about 60, 70 people in his posterity. So cool. And not a single one of them. I mean, are,
1: I mean, they're all amazing people. That is amazing. almost all of them, and it's yeah. just
0: cool. And like, you can't buy that.
1: That is so cool. Like Ed, Ed Milet refers to it uh, to your, her her grandfather as the one. Right? Mm, He's yeah. generational. Yeah breaker right yep. my dad was the same thing for mm. for us right like my, my dad grew up in a in a home of a drunkard you know he was mm-hmm. driving his his dad home from bars at age 12 mm-hmm. you know late late at night or whatnot and it's just so cool to see the impact that that someone like just one decision mm-hmm. right i'm gonna be different yep. i'm gonna change it and to to have it spread across generations dude, that's so awesome yeah yeah thanks for sharing that how uh how does your family help you offer perspective on your business
0: Well, it's massive. I think about that all the time, that family legacy. And, and I think on my business side of things, I have a unique spot for my business where I actually have thousands of students that look to me for help and my team and stuff. And I can hopefully drastically affect their lives in a positive way in a world of finance where it's the Wolf of Wall Street lifestyle, like cocaine stripper, just do whatever, live life fast. And who cares what happens tomorrow? Yes. And when people, clients meet with me and my team, it's, it's, it's usually different. a very stark difference. I'm like, dude, we're playing the long game here. We're playing the 40-year game of reputation. you got to build a great family alongside a great business that has integrity, yes. that builds with investors and clients throughout you know, the next few decades. Yeah. And they're like, oh oh, I thought you were just some 28-year-old whatever. And I'm like, no, this is what we're building here. Right. And it takes it's just compounded years of being a really good human, especially for funds. That's really what funds are. Right. When, when you compound funds, you look at these big fund managers, Ray Dalio, Warren Buffett. Right. Ray Dalio started his first fund at 26 years old. Wow. And Warren Buffett started his first fund at, uh, I believe, 28. A bunch of these fund managers today that are multi-billion dollar fund managers right. started in their 20s at a pretty small fund. They raised 50 to 100 grand right. and they just started. And they over a decade and a couple of decades, they get caught compounded returns. They were right. honest with investors whether they made money or lost money. They had audits done. <laughs> right. And all of a sudden we go, man, Warren Buffett's just incredible, or Ray Dalio's incredible. It's like, well, look, he spent fifty years. Right.
1: Have you ever fifty s- years doing this? Have you ever seen his hockey stick growth of of his uh, of his net worth? Uh-huh. It's it's actually phenomenal. You can Google it, right? I, I'd encourage audience one not to do so, but it literally shows just like how unimpressive. Mm -hmm. It it was in his 20s, in his 30s, even in his 40s. It wasn't even that. It was like it was a lot of money, but it wasn't a lot of money, Mm -hmm. right? And then it just this compound effect and just, you know, into his 70s, all of a sudden it's just like, boom, double, double, Mm -hmm. double, right? And it just... it. the consistency, the, you know, like you said, like the honesty with your investors, like Mm -hmm. sticking to it. uh, That's awesome.
0: And I, back to what you talked about, like, you know, kids want to all be quick, get rich quick, which is fine. I like that mentality, but there's something about living a life and leaving a long-term legacy and having compounded wins over time and understanding that some things just take time Yeah, when you're being diligent and perseverant. So, uh, I think it's phenomenal, especially in the fun game.
1: Yeah, dude, you know, and what you're really talking about is creating a culture, right? Like uh, your team, not only is your employees, but it's this, this group of students, right? Mm. Like you have such a powerful influence. And, and when you have that kind of influence, it's all driven by culture and it's like, what is our mission statement? What are mm-hmm. our core values? What it like, those things matter, mm-hmm. right? Like as I built an organization of 1300 employees, like it was all based off of those things. And it sounds like you're doing the same thing. And, and like, that's the power to change the world. That's the power to influence it and to go and compete against these big funds yep. that are literally just dictating how we live life. Mm-hmm. Like we have the power to fight back. I love it.
0: Oh, I love it. Six months ago, we, we did a whole executive retreat, my team. We built out, it took us about, I think 12 to 15 hours to build our core values. Yeah. And they put them on the wall and they look simple, but it's like, we debated these heavily about what we're going to live by and die by as a team. And it's been actually phenomenal for our company.
1: That's so awesome. So if, I mean, dude, you're still young, right? Like a lot of times when I when I meet with somebody, it's like, okay, what, what advice would you give to a young entrepreneur? You're still young yourself, but like, um, it, w- one, would you change anything that you've done up until this point? And then two, what advice would you give to somebody that's, Contemplating leaving everything they have and going out on their own. Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, the first question, I don't know if I have a ton. It's always like you always you got to look back at your life and say, I'm happy with what the way things turned out, good, bad or ugly. Right. because It's made me who I am today. Yep. I mean, if I could go back, I'd buy Bitcoin in 2012 or right. something. Right. You do something course, like that. But I'll give uh, advice to a younger self. And it's actually fun. I, I actually like I, I speak at I oftentimes actually get invited to speak at colleges and universities to high school kids because I'm just closer to their age. Yes. And I'm like, hey, it's at least for me, it was hard to learn from somebody who was 60 years old telling me all the steps they took from t- age 21 to 65. Right. It's a lot easier. Like I, I'm like, Hey, I'll just tell you the next few steps. Right. I don't, I'm not going to tell you the whole route to the top of the mountain, but I'm gonna tell you the next few steps of how to do yep. this. And I had a brother, I, I'll tell you two stories that changed my life. And I would, Love same it. advice I give my younger self. I went, I was in college and I met, uh, there's this, we were at this speaking event. This guy came from Harvard spoke, really impressive dude. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, man, that's a really great guy. And he gets off stage. He comes to the back of the room right where I'm standing. And I'm like, oh, man, he's sitting right here. I can just chat with him. And somebody else was speaking. So I lean over to him. And I was so nervous at the time about risk, which everyone's always nervous about risk. Should I take a chance? I had this idea for a business I was going to do. Should I take a chance? What if I ruined school? Because I had good grades. I was trying to do the internship thing and get a really good career. I actually got a six-figure job offer out of college that I turned down. And anyways, I kept asking him, like, what should I do? And he said, Bridger, um, what do you mean risk? I'm like, well, yeah, it's risky. I could go start a business. What if I fail? And he goes, Bridger, if you fail, do you have a family member or a friend that you could move in with and sleep on their couch for a couple months and maybe eat food out of their fridge and be with them? Like, honestly. And I said, well, yeah. You know, I I have parents or a brother-in-law or somebody, they would take me in. If I really needed it, they would take me in. So he goes, you're telling me if you failed, fell flat in your face, you would move in with a family member or friend who loves you and has food for you, and you could have air conditioning or whatever in a house. Right. And I was like, well, yeah. He goes, Bridger, we're not talking about risk here. He's
1: like, you got no risk.
0: Your worst case scenario is better than 90% of the world lives today. Love that. We're not talking about risk here. Yeah. And he goes, and also, if you leave school or drop out, schools will always take your money. You can always come back and pay them for a degree. They'll happily take your money for a degree. So if you have a good idea, go after it. So you dropped out and I I ended up dropping out of school because of that conversation. And another conversation I had with my brother-in-law and he he said a similar thing. He goes, Bridger, you know, you're a time in your life when you're young, you don't have a mortgage. You don't have five kids like you do. You don't have a big, a car payment and all the stuff to handle. You're, it's just you.
1: How there's much you literally
0: no risk. I'm like, I survive on like 500 bucks a month. He's oh like, my gosh. You could get a job at McDonald's and in a week you're making your monthly payments. Right. You, we're not talking about risk here. So you have a thing called asymmetrical risk in investing. We call this, it's, it's, we've heard the term. There's no
1: downside. Yeah.
0: There's, <laughs> it's called high risk, high reward in investing. You've heard that low right. risk, low reward. Asymmetrical risk is when you have relatively low risk, but yet very high reward. Right. That's what fund managers trying to find is find alpha or asymmetrical right. risk. He's like, Bridger, you have that. Right. As a college student right now, you have a relatively low downside, but if you, if it hits, if it does well, you have a massive upside. Yes. Why would you not take that bet on yourself? In the best years of your life, when you're healthy, you have tons of energy, you're young, like, and I was like, huh, it's
1: a great point. I love that advice. You know, I, I've tried to live by that pretty much. any time I've looked at risk is like, mm-hmm. I analyze what is the potential downside, right? Mm-hmm. And if the downside is moving in with my, moving in with my in-laws, living in their basement or whatever it is, right? Like if that's really the worst case scenario and I have never, ever taken action where it's ended up being my worst case scenario ever. Mm-hmm. Like I've even gone bankrupt and it wasn't as bad mm-hmm. as I thought it would be, mm-hmm. right? And, and so I think that's important for anybody to hear that like the monster that you're creating in your mind mm-hmm. of the downside of risk or whatever it is, it's not real and, and the, you won't even begin to approach that and even if you did so what right like well in america too we have bankruptcy
0: right and these these nets so catch much. you. we have like food stamps we have like it is hard to be homeless in my opinion in america yes if you're really trying now if i know if you're on drugs or doing fentanyl and stuff <laughs> what, but that's let's just leave that out if you don't avoid <laughs> substance abuse there's a lot of nets if you live in the united states there's a ton of nets that Absolutely. catch you and it's again it's an asymmetrical risk
1: i love it i love it so favorite book what, uh, what's something you're reading right now or something that you love to, to draw back on?
0: A few books that have changed my entire career. Yeah. Um, we talked about Russell Brunson. Yep. I love expert secrets. That book absolutely, absolutely changed my life. Yep. Uh, by Jeff Walker. Okay. I'm not sure if you read that one. He's nope. kind of an OG online marketer and he talks through this process of launching products. I, and the reason I bring up those two books, they're very actionable books. I was young in my career in college and I would read these books from bigwigs. Right. I'd read Jack Welsh's book on how to do management. And it just, it was so far away from me. Good to great. I'd read that one. But right. like, it's only applicable if when you when you have 200 employees. Right. I'm like, it's just me. <laughs> like this book is cool. And I've actually gone back and read those books. I'm like, wow, these are phenomenal books. And at the time I was like, that's a I don't I didn't get anything from this right. book. Same. And so I like books when I talk on podcasts, books that are actionable. launch very actionable book. Love it. Talks about the process of launching any product or business you're doing. He talks it through this. He calls it the PLF style launch. This is what Apple. So Apple, he goes, Apple's the best example of all time. Every year they do this with their iPhone. So what happens in May or June of every year, there's leaked images of the new iPhone. Oh, the iPhone, whatever, 17 or 20 or whatever is coming out there. We have leaked photos. It's like the Apple's leaking these photos, right? right? This kind of, they get the most little hype Then they build up a little bit more. This new feature maybe is coming out they then set a date that you set a launch date. Right. You then have a big announcement launch date. You launch this thing. You then open cart on the launch and then you, he's like, you, the only reason to open a cart is to close it. And you always set a close date. You close off the cart. Apple sometimes doesn't do that but you close, like orders can only come in this time. Anyways, very actionable way to launch businesses yeah. and products. We do this still to this day and uh, we did that in college. I raised, I made $144,000 on a launch that we did just from doing that model. So cool. And I was like, you know, I was like, holy crap, as a college kid, I'm rich. that could have been a billion dollars that right, it felt right, the right, same right. way. Like Safe. it was the yeah, same yeah, yeah, yeah. feeling of like, Absolutely. holy shoot, like we're freaking rich, you know? Yeah, yeah. But I love that book. I'll, I'll say those two, Expert Secrets, Launch. And the last one I'll say is Lost and Founder. Have you, have you heard that book? Uh, I
1: have. I haven't read it, but I've heard of it. Yeah. Very phenomenal book. Um, mm-hmm.
0: Talks about this, the real nuts and bolts of launching a business and being a founder. And you're this is the podcast, The Founder Podcast. Yeah. But well, he goes, he shares an example of service-based business versus tech-based businesses. He goes, a tech company will typically get, let's get a, a 10 to a 12X multiple. Yeah. So let's say your company's doing 10 million revenue. Right. You'd get a hundred million dollar evaluation. A service-based company is going to get a two to three, maybe. So let's call it $10 million, same, same revenue. A service-based company will sell for 25 to $30 million. Right. He goes, but the average founder ends up with about 11% equity at the end, a tech founder. Right. of the end of their career. Right. So if you had an $100 million exit, that means the average founder ends up with $11 million. Right. The average service-based founder ends up with 50 to about 90% of their equity. Uh-huh. So if you sold a service-based company for 30000000 million, you'd send up- You're actually up better off. 15 to 20. And he's like, he calls it the, this myth of being a tech founder. Right. Sounds really cool. When, and, he, and he himself, the writer, he's like, he runs a multi $100 million tech firm. The venture capitalists that have come in have locked his equity. He's, he's worked on it for 11 years. He said, on paper, I'm worth, I don't know, tens of millions of dollars. I get paid a salary of about $230,000 a year. And I've never been paid more than Wild. that. And I cannot sell my equity.
1: Oh my goodness.
0: And he goes, if I could go back, I would have structured things way differently. Simply. I would have. And anyways, it's a really, if you're a founder listening to this podcast,
1: very that's a fantastic. Yeah. Dude. Appreciate the recommendation. So where, where's the best place to follow you? Instagram, YouTube, where where are at?
0: Um, yeah, Instagram's awesome. Bridger underscore Pennington YouTube. We have a channel that t- talks all about funds. So Bridger Pennington, we have a free course on funds too, for people they want to like, cool. yeah, get, give us a,
1: give us a nice hook here. Yeah, We're trying to
0: democratize wall street. So I'm like, I just, we just give content because yeah. I really, I want people to launch more funds and yes. learn at least not even launch, but just learn this game. Yes. So we have a totally free course on funds. Just message me on Instagram or funlaunch.com. but it's are hundred percent free. You just put in your email and we have like, I don't know, 20 to 30 videos that walk you through how funds work, how they're built. I just, I, I just have this mission. We need more people to understand this game so that the Blackrocks of the world, the Vanguards, the Citadels, do not just run over us over the next 10, 20 it, years.
1: Dude, it's wild. Vanguard and Blackrock each have like a 15% stake in like every major business in the world. It's, it's unreal. It, it is unreal, and I'm it, with you. It's I'm very you behind scary that mission. And how they
0: can move, and it's like, huh, who controls the world? It's like, and Blackrock is essentially an extension of the Fed. The Fed does all their buying of right. their equities portfolio through Blackrock. And so you know, it's an extension of the Fed, essentially the US government, that whatever agenda they want to push, right, they can push it right through those, right. you know, groups. It's it's pretty interesting. Oh, they man. also run the Aladdin system. We can dive into deep finance if you want. Dude. The Aladdin system yeah. manages like 20 trillion a year. They do all every transaction on Earth pretty much goes to the Aladdin system, which is ran by BlackRock. Oh, and man. so they can manipulate things like crazy. It's very Oh
1: my goodness. So, man, I'm I'm all about your mission. I I think I think a lot of people that are listening to this fo- this podcast are either contemplating being founders previous founders had exits whatnot looking at launching funds or whatnot i think i think there's a lot of value that you can offer to our audience so i appreciate your time today oh, thanks so much. uh go and follow bridger he's uh, absolutely awesome until next time